Apple presents events at the Apple Store. Please welcome this evening's guest moderator, Mind Body Green founder, Jason Wachub, and tonight's panel. How's everyone doing? We're in for a treat tonight. We've got, I think, the finest people in wellness here. Uh, I'm going to do brief introductions. To my left, we've got Charlie Knowles, who I think is the best meditation teacher in the world. Give a, give a hand for Charlie. We've got endurance athlete and plant-based Ultraman, Rich Roll. We've got plant-based chef and healer and musician, and Julie does everything, Julie Pyatt. And then if you don't know who Tara Stiles is, I don't know where you live. And then we've got the co-founder of... <laughs> and then we've got the co-founder of Strala Yoga, Michael Taylor. We're wearing the same shirt. So what's interesting about this group, we're talking about wellness and innovation here. We've all come to it in, uh, in different ways at different points in our life, and we've been able to make careers of it. Uh, we're going to touch about touch touch on a number of points and how that happened. Uh, so I'm going to I'm going to start all the way to the to the far left. Michael, uh, can you tell people about how you came to wellness and and how you made it a career? You I know you started out your Harvard doctor startups and then here you are yoga star. Thanks, Jason, and thanks Apple for having us here. Uh, I intended to be a doctor. That was always my interest. I wanted to, uh, and I did, I studied medicine. I studied both Western and Eastern medicine. And as I was growing up, I found myself uh, spending a lot of time in a hospital um, you know, for various uh, parts of my work. And then different parts of uh, members in my family were um, you know, dealing with cancer and some other illnesses. And I, I found myself not really happy about what I saw going on. And I wasn't really exactly sure why. I went off to uh, study the English medical system at Oxford, and uh, it still wasn't quite right. And then uh, you know, I basically ended up pulling over to the side of the road and sitting on a fence for a while when it came to how to practice medicine uh, in a way that I wanted to. And then Tara started doing all this stuff with Strala, and before you knew it, there were people sending us messages from everywhere around the world who were curing themselves, fixing themselves of all kinds of things that were simply unfixable uh, in the Western medical world. And I thought, okay, this is my time to get off the fence and, and jump right into this because it was so exciting. And uh, pretty much Tara gave me uh, what I had been waiting for. <laughs> and so what about you, Tara? I know you started at a young age, but then got into, came to yoga and, and really leveraged social media too and video. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Well, I, I guess the long story short is I'm from a tiny farm town where there's not much to do, and I just found myself basically in the woods meditating without really knowing it was meditating. And I've always been a mover. I was a dancer as a kid, so I was doing a sort of moving meditation, and I would tell my parents about my experiences in the woods, and they thought that I was a little bit crazy. And I would see colors and find them connected to things and, and feel connected to people and nature. And my mom's like, stop talking about that. That's weird. <laughs> so when I was in a ballet school in high school, and uh, we had yoga on Fridays for relaxation, and I just remember sitting, seeing the yoga teacher sitting in the front of the room, smiling, happy, like he had no problems in the world, and I said, I think that's what I was doing in the woods. So I went and sat next to him, and I just was sitting there for a while and super excited and didn't know uh, what I could do with my life that was this, but just knew I really wanted to be involved with whatever it was. So in a roundabout way, I sort of made it my career without really trying to. I kept following my interests and following my intuition. One thing led to another. I started sharing yoga with people and then having a studio in Mike's apartment, blogging about yoga, tweeting about yoga, turned into books and videos and you know all these kind of things. So it was really a sort of natural happy path for me so far. But it was a lot, but, but the, I think what's important too is, you, you know, people think you're an overnight success. You've worked your ass off for years, yeah. you know, like in, in starting at Mike's apartment and doing YouTube, you know, it was my, one of my favorite lines is overnight success over 10 years. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I've been doing this all my life and um, 
uh, I mean, it's fun. I, know, I don't feel like I'm working my ass off or anything. I just, I feel like I'm having fun and, and getting to do what I love to do with my life is the reward. I feel like getting more work is the reward and getting people that actually want to come take the classes at the studio is the reward. So, you know, I, I feel like a success is being able to be in sweatpants most of the time. And this I is like dressed that. up for me. So <laughs> come to Brooklyn. And what about Julie? Can you share a little bit about your story and, and how, in particularly, I think your story around healing and, and embracing a plant-based diet is pretty powerful. But um, Well, for me, it, um, it's also, you know, a continuing, evolving journey and, and also a very long journey. Um, but, um, you know, in the beginning, it was yoga. I found yoga. And without a doubt, um, it's the single thing that's transformed my life more than anything. Um, but then uh, I was always, you know, sort of a slim person, so I didn't really have any food um, issues until um, I had the blessing of receiving a cyst in my neck, um, and it was about the size of a golf ball in the front. And um, I took that as an opportunity to connect deeper with myself and to find a way to heal it on my own. Um, and I did that um, through the use of food, diet, and herbs. It's pretty amazing stuff. And how, how that took place over the course of two years? Yeah, it was about two or two and a half years. Wow. Process. It's amazing. And Rich, your story, your, your, the eve of your 40th birthday? Yeah, in a nutshell. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, my sort of journey into wellness was uh, almost accidental, but precipitated really by a health crisis. I mean, I'm, four, I'm almost 47 now, but on the eve of my 40th birthday, I was about 50 pounds heavier than I am now and, and kind of headed towards a heart attack. And, and I had a moment on the staircase late one night um, where I, ha you know, I, I had to pause walking up a simple flight of stairs, tightness in my chest and sweat on my brow and, and really feared that I was suffering, that I was in the, the throes of the beginnings of heart disease, and, which runs in my family. And it was, a, it was kind of an epiphany moment where I realized I really needed to make a change and, and make a change swiftly and very decisively. And that kind of led me towards plant-based nutrition. And embracing that really has resolved all of these issues and set me on a completely new trajectory. And now, you know, here I am at the Apple Store pontificating about wellness, which is quite ironic. You know, if you had told me several years ago that I would be doing that, I would have, I would have laughed at you. But it's been nothing short of a, a remarkable journey. Um, and... I can't stress enough to you how much more control we all have over our health, how we feel, our energy levels. And so kind of my message is all about uh, taking responsibility for that and taking that power back and, and implementing some simple tools uh, and lessons into your life to improve the quality of your life. Amen. And Charlie, meditation, you've been meditating for quite some time. Yeah, I have. Um, I was really lucky in that uh, I had uh, two meditation teachers for parents. They were part of the early wave of hippies who went over to India to study with the great Himalayan meditation masters. And uh, they came back and brought that knowledge back to where I was born in Australia and uh, started teaching meditation, which wasn't uh, a widely known uh, career path back in those days. Still isn't now, to be perfectly honest. Um, but uh, uh, So I got to learn to meditate when I was four years old. and. Uh, that's, uh, so I'm, uh, I'm also on the eve of my, my birthday, uh, so I, that's uh, 36 years in a, in a few days, and so it's 32 years of meditation. Um, so you learned when you were four. When I was four, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so I've been practicing ever since then. And when I was growing up, I started to notice, you know, in my household, it was quite normal for us to have um, Indian swamis coming out to visit us and hang out with us at our house. and. Um, and uh, lots of people in robes and beads. And when I got to a certain age, probably around 16 or so, I started to have this thought that maybe normal people might like to meditate as well. And so I set out on a course to, um, to think about becoming a teacher myself and maybe teaching it in a way that might be a bit more accessible to people who weren't going to necessarily wear the robes and beads. Although there's nothing wrong with robes and nothing beads. Nothing wrong with robes and beads. They don't yeah, make them my size. I, yeah. <laughs> And so, so what about everyone else? We've all, we all had moments where we discovered wellness was really powerful. We really liked it. Uh, when, when did you decide, this is what I want to do for a career? This is what I want to teach? Like, Rich, you, you had that moment. But at the, I'm sure you're thinking you just want to get healthy. 
Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, for me, it's been a it's been a, a personal journey. I don't know that there was one definitive moment where I decided this was going to be my career path. Although I certainly embrace the idea of this as a as a mission. You know, sort of whether that 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 takes the form of being a career or just an avocation on the side. I mean, I'm a trained lawyer. You know, I'm practicing law for a long time, but in the last year, I've really stepped into it. Uh, you know, as more of a career path, and I think that. You know, we're at the Apple store, and, and I'm a big proponent of Apple products, and, and the technology really has created the platform to communicate with people directly, and that provides the ability to kind of self-style and fashion your own career. Like, if somebody said to me, well, what do you do? Like, I'm, I'm not sure I could encapsulate that in one phrase or word, but through all of these kind of platforms of communication, um, you know, Julie and I together have been able to call together kind of a way to advocate in a way that is on a professional level and, and being able to sustain our, ourselves and our family doing that. And so another thing that I think is, is really interesting, we're here at the Apple store, we're talking about, you know, there's technology and innovation around and, and you know, talking about yoga with, you know, Tara and Michael, there's this, you know, there's this balance. We, we all use social media, we all use technology. It helps us with our brands. It helps us spread, the, spread whatever we're doing, spread that message. But we're also about balance and disconnecting. How do you guys do that successfully? Disconnect or reconnect. <laughs> exactly. Well, um, one cool thing about things I get to do is hang out with Deepak Chopra a lot. And uh, we did this iPhone app together and we went on some morning news show to talk about it. And the, the host of the show said, oh, you know, Deepak, don't you think that technology is bad? And here you are putting yoga on an iPhone app. And isn't it going to take people more out of themselves and more out of their bodies and out of their minds and, you know, put them inside of this and disconnect it? And he said, no, 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 technology is neutral. It's what you do with it that counts. So, you know, you can use technology to complain or, you know, spread hate or spread rumors or, you know, hide behind, uh, you know, an anonymous blog and, you know, just write nasty things. <laughs> or, or you can, you know, s you know, he had something where he said if you put a smiley face and send that to somebody, all the brain receptors that go off in a positive way. And, you know, if you're putting a positive message, like everybody here on this panel does, you know, that's an email in your inbox every day at 4 p.m. from Mind, Body, Green. That's an opportunity to take a deep breath and connect and read some positive information that you can really make a, make a change in your life immediately. So I think everybody here is a great example of doing that. And I think that's sort of the trend now, too, in, in technology, and it can keep going that way. So... And if I may, um, and I think that, that the exciting thing about where we are today with technology is that um, I don't think any of this was a career choice for any of us. Like, it didn't come from the brain. It wasn't some great marketing idea that we, you know, conjured up together or separately. I think it's um, really about finding your authentic self, whatever that is. And then the beauty of technology is that you're allowed to use that then to create your own sustenance, you know, and be able to actually thrive and live and, um, you know, even serve as a living example for others in a positive way. So, so for people out there who are, who are you know, they, they have a passion, they how can they turn that into, what advice would you give for someone who, who wants to turn their passion into a career? You know, we, we've, been, we've been all very fortunate. We're all passionate about wellness. We have life-changing you know, life events. Or we're passionate about what we do, and we've been able to, to build careers. Uh, what advice do you guys give to someone out there who's maybe passionate about something else and wants to turn it into a career? I'll take a swing at that one. Um, I think the thing that um, really unites all the people here on the stage is that um, we've, we all live what we preach. I mean, when I, when I look at, at Rich and just see how incredibly fit he is, it's, it's really inspiring. When I see Tara doing her stuff, I've always admired the work she's done. They're, they're real examples of what they do. And I think sometimes people get a little bit lost in the whole, like, you know, social media branding kind of thing um, and forget that at the heart of what they're about is their actual real passion for what they what they're interested in. And I think if, if you're, there's, there's so many different um, fields, especially like in, in, in wellness, there's so many people who are really suffering right now who could use real help in so many different areas. And if you just, 
it doesn't take very long to look around and see exactly what those things are. You can talk to any one of your friends and you'll probably find out five or six different ways that you could be really helping people in health and wellness. And then just the, the, the trick then is, is to become really good at what you do and to live it and breathe it. And, and, and there's no, never going to be a moment when uh, you'll find um, you know, Rich digging into a McDonald's hamburger. Um, because he's always authentic about what he does. You know, I, I saw there's a hilarious video that, that Tara made kind of parodying some of the, the aspects of, of yoga. I thought it was absolutely hilarious. And one of the things she parodied was uh, a fellow who was, um, try, who was a teacher um, trying to get into yoga poses, telling everyone else to get into yoga poses that he couldn't personally do. I, th I think I know who that guy is. I'm not going to mention any names. But... Um, but it was uh, it was hilarious, and and but you'd never see Tara. Like she's she's a real proponent of what she does, and I think that's that's the key to it is find your authenticity, find find the thing that you're really passionate about, it, and then become excellent at it. If you become really amazing at what you do and represent it in every moment, then naturally people are going to be drawn to you and want you want want to know what you're about, and and then when I became aware of of of, of these people on the stage, you know, the first thing I saw was you know, oh, a tweet or a blog or something. It's like, oh, that person looks interesting. But the second thing is, wow, they're amazing at what they do. If you only have the first part and not the second part, then it's going to fall flat. And what's going to happen is you'll very quickly message how uh, bad you are. <laughs> so <laughs> make sure you're doing it the other way around. And the thing I'll add, the beauty of, you know, what Charlie says, if, if you're trying to find your authentic self, if you're trying to find what you're passionate about, if you're trying to, to connect in a deeper level, these people here, what they do, can help you do that. If you look at the practices of meditation, mindfulness, yoga, eating a more plant-based diet, you do all these things, odds are it's going to help you get where you want to go. You're going to feel good about yourself. You're going to feel more connected. You're going to feel more open. And I, I think everyone, I always say, if, if you're looking to change your life, if, you're, if you do those three things, you're going to be in really good shape. So it goes beyond just you know what we're talking about here and practicing it. It's 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 grabbing something and and it can help you creatively, artistically, in any any which way you're looking to improve your life. Jason, can I jump in? Absolutely. Right. Um, one of the things, if you're asking about what does it take to turn this kind of passion into a into a business, into a livelihood, one of the things I think is keeping your eyes open. Because I didn't realize until over a decade later why I was sitting on the fence with medicine. And I think what I realized later was I didn't like that we were all sitting on the fence with health, that science had really taken over and said, now we have such a micro-level understanding of human health and disease that all of us patients, we're no longer part of it anymore. We're just going to go to a doctor and they're going to treat us and we don't have to know what's going on, not even be a part of what's going on. And that's a nice idea, but it wasn't working. For the vast majority of people, it wasn't working. And I didn't really fully see all of that until I saw the opportunity to jump off that fence and get back in. And I think people keep saying everyone here is living it. What I see everyone here living is bringing health back as a participatory affair. It's not something that we have to observe from the sidelines while someone who knows better than us treats us. It's actually, it's great science, medicine, doing miraculous things every day, but we can also do miraculous things. Everyone here can do miraculous things by jumping in and becoming a, a, a participant in our own health. And that's when I say just keep your eyes open, it's I always wanted to do this as a career. I just didn't think it was possible, and I didn't architect how it would become possible, but when it was in front of us, I saw it. And, and that's kind of how I, how I got into this. So was, was there a specific moment for you? Because I know you were, you know, you, doctor, startups, sort of doing, practicing yoga a lot. When did, when did you, was there, was there a moment or a time when you said, all right, this is what I want to do, I'm ready to put the rest behind? Well, I started following her around. How'd that work out? It's working out pretty well. <laughs> and for, <clears throat> for Rich, for you, while you're going through, so for you, for you guys who don't know, Rich did this insane, in, incredible, it's called Epic Five, correct? And that's, and that's, you did five Ironmans in less than a week on five different islands in Hawaii. 
So you're, you're, you're going through that rich, rototrophic book, Finding Ultra. Uh, you're, you're going through this incredible journey. You go through all this. While you're doing all this, I know you, you were doing it. There were many reasons why you were, you were doing this. Uh, in the back of your head, were you saying like, hey, maybe there's something here for me? On a, on the something here for me in terms of a profession? Exactly. No, I never Beyond thought that. Beyond just surviving that. No, no, no. I mean, when I was doing that, it was all about seeing whether, I mean, sort of kind of my, op, my, my, my operating question was just how resilient is the human body? You know, I'd abused my body for decades and decades with incredibly poor diet, drugs and alcohol, gained a lot of weight, my energy was terrible, all these things. And I was able to revive myself by changing the way that I treated myself. And that led me on a quest to see, well, if I can sort of repair my health through nutrition, just how far can I push it? And, and Epic Five was kind of the ultimate test of that and answered that question, which is the human body is far more resilient than, than you can imagine. And that applies to everybody. Not that it, everybody's going to go out and do Epic Five or want to do some crazy you know, physical challenge like that. But that principle remains the same. And I think in terms of you know, the, the sort of subject or the theme is, is career or transitioning these passions into a vocation. And you know, I kind of echo what, what Charlie said in that you know, it's easy to look at all these technological platforms and say, well, I'm going to make a career you know, doing this. But the truth is you can't transmit something you haven't got. Like that's, that's the operating principle. You have to become an expert or an authority in what it is that you're speaking to, right? So that's where the focus should be. And then, the, and then you can use these platforms to share that and share it freely in service with a focus on being of service to other people. And then if you're doing that and you're coming from that authentic place, I believe that the opportunities arise. You know, when the focus is, well, how am I going to make money doing this? Or, you know, what's my career path? I think that that's the wrong focus to have. The focus should always be on service. And there's like a spiritual equation that takes place. When you're in service, then, you know, things tend to work out. That's been my experience. I agree. Uh, Tara, one of the things you talk a lot and why I love practicing yoga with you guys is you talk about practicing ease and life should be easy and intuitive and that, you know, and, and that goes beyond the mat and the business and life, et cetera. Could you talk a little bit about your philosophy and why that's so important? Sure. I think it's something that we started seeing along the way. You know, you can do yoga like a 10-step person that's really stressed out and you can try to get in all these yoga poses and really try and try and try to achieve and try to prove. But when you come from that sort of feeling of service, that feeling of, you know, how can I help myself? How can I help others? Then all of a sudden everything does become easy. It doesn't mean that you're lazy and just, you know, in the physical sense of yoga, flopping on the floor or applying no effort at all, but you have this very efficient thing that happens in your body that leaves up room for your intuition and your creativity and all of the cocktails in your brain that do all the things that when we feel, oh, amazing, that can happen. And when you're tense and when you're stressed, you know, your microtubules and your brain get crossed and, and things go haywire and you make bad decisions and there becomes this, you know, in a box feeling. And uh, when you have space around you physically, mentally, spiritually, that happens. <laughs> you just feel good. good. And, um, you know, and you have spontaneous moments of joy, of freedom. Uh, a neat thing I like to experience at the studio and, and one of the qualities I uh, sort of measure in our guides and our teachers is if somebody comes out of your class and they say, I feel a sense of freedom or I feel a sense of space or I feel a sense of ease, then you've really done your job and your job is that you've made them feel good. And, um, and that's basically all all I've ever wanted to do is to help people and help myself feel good. So it's that intention of connecting and expanding and connecting and expanding and, and really how can I help? So I think as far as uh, you know, creating ease in your life, it is something that anybody can do, whether you're you know, in your job now or in your job you're gonna be in five years or trying to turn your interest into business or, or just trying to live uh, a nice life. And, and having ease, having that sense of space is, is really something we can all do by just regular practice of meditation and drinking green juices and eating nice foods and feeling nice things and allowing ourselves to actually feel good because um, it's possible.
can feel good. It feels good to feel good. That sounds good to me. I know, Charlie, you talk a lot about the science of what happens, like when people meditate or they breathe, or can you talk a little, can you explain why, why that works, why we feel good? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, there's a lot of changes that happen in your brain. And first of all, to understand why, how you'd feel good, you have to understand why it is that you might feel bad first. You know, a lot of times people are kind it's of very important. Yeah, people might be walking around kind of feeling kind of miserable. And you know, as as Tara was mentioning, you know, stress is 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 a is a real killer. Um, when when you get stressed, you 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 get hypertension, your heart rate speeds up, and your blood vessels contract, and you um you start to sweat a lot, and uh, your digestion gets suppressed, um, your immune system gets suppressed, and that leads to all sorts of problems. And part of the feeling good is just the relieving of those symptoms. You know, when you meditate or do yoga and you start to relieve stress, and you, all of a sudden you're like, oh, wow, I can actually, f my heart feels like it can pump the blood around my body effectively. And that, unfortunately, for many people is a revelation. That shouldn't be. That should be something like the things that we're talking about, I think, should be so regular that we we do them all the time um, now but then the 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 next thing beyond that just relieving those uh, the problems of stress is that um, over time you know it, what, what scientists scientists have found now is that the brain actually changes in response to your experiences and so if you are experiencing uh, that sort of blissful ease all the time your brain actually physically changes in response to that um, the part of the brain that's responsible for stress uh, can actually become functionally smaller, um, and so you, it becomes more difficult for you to become to get stressed in the first place. You don't get stressed out by minor things anymore. It's literally like a muscle that you're exercising or not exercising. And on on contrast, you know your your your, uh, your body's being filled with uh, bliss chemicals that are making you feel fantastic all the time, and your body and brain adapt to that environment. It takes you know three months or so, or maybe even up to a year for you to really set that pattern in. But if you do that regularly, that's what you're going to start to experience, and that will become your lived reality rather than just a momentary respite in a, in a sea of stress. So you don't get stressed? Oh, no. You, well, you, it's not that you don't ever get stressed. So certainly things, things can still cause you stress, but like stress is there for life-threatening situations. It's not there for when your favorite coffee shop uh, is cash only and you've turned up with a credit card only. You know, you shouldn't get stressed out by that. The things that, you should, that, that are appropriate to get stressed out is like you know, a fire in the building, yeah, I, I'd get stressed in that situation, but I think the threshold for stress gets becomes a lot higher. So it's only in those situations where, where you know, you want to have that adrenaline rush to escape from a negative situation. So is there one? I know we've talked about breathing. Is there one thing? So, so you're we're waiting on the we're waiting online at Starbucks and we're freaking out. What's one <laughs> What's one thing that everyone can do to help them not freak out? Yeah, um, I mean, I, I one of the things I really like people to to do is like this. The, the simplest breathing exercise, the simplest breathing meditation that you can do, and literally everyone can do this right now, um, is, is just to spend a little bit longer on your outward breath as you do on your inward breath, because your inward breath is linked to the part of your nervous system responsible for stress. The outward breath is linked to the part of the nervous system responsible for relaxation. So if you, do, if you breathe in for two and out for four, Sure. Yeah. Let's um. Let's let's give it a try. Um. So um. So all you do is go, and I'll do it with my fingers because I have to be doing it while I'm at the same time. So breathe in, breathe out, breathe in, breathe out. You just spend a little bit longer on the outward breath, just like that. It's all you need to do. You can maybe do it for a few more than that. You could maybe do it for, or do it for, for five or six repetitions of it. And just by doing something as simple as that, you can start to trigger your nervous system to be more calm. That's the most, most basic. It's the very tippy, 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 tippy tip of the iceberg. But um, absolutely, it, it absolutely works. I feel way better. <laughs> <laughs> so in for two, out for four. Yeah, in for two, out for four. Really simple. So as you guys, you know... In this, you know, we're all entrepreneurs in some sense. How do you guys get through those times when you when you when you've you've hit a wall, and you're like, "Holy crap, what am I doing?" Or you've had those moments where maybe you're not ready to give up, but you're just you're starting to question things. I guess Rich wants me to take this one. No. Well, when you embrace your authentic self and you start to live a life of authenticity. Um, the big myth is that everything's going to be easy. <laughs> so um, 
I think it requires an extreme, I call it extreme faith. So um, I live in, uh, in that kind of world where I um, have strong convictions and believe deeply in um, the divine hand in this entire play and the connection of all of us. And I think you get tested. You know, you really, really, really get tested. And, um, you know, we have a story. Some of you know some of that story. And I'll just tell you, you don't know all the story. <laughs> and um, we've, you know, we've been on our knees um, many times in the last 10 years. And one of the beautiful things about that process is if you can cultivate that extreme faith in whatever way is natural to you, um, you will see that, um, what do you call it when the little, when the little uh, baby is crawling on the steel? Oh, the, the, the Popeye cartoon? The Popeye cartoon? Yeah. Sweet the baby? Pea? On that, that's a very obscure reference. It is, though. just <laughs> tell him. Yeah. So in this cartoon, the baby crawls, and he's just going to fall, like he's going to fall off this steel girder. structure, girder, and then just when he's about to fall, something else catches him. And you will start to experience, I'm sure, this in your life. And um, the beauty of that is that it, what it does is there's a friction, and it's really not that comfortable sometimes, and you're really in pain sometimes. But there's something about the alchemy of transformation that you need that friction to actually transform. And so when you do arrive in a place of non-judgment and, and love and real, really embodying your authentic self, um, you will have it in your cellular makeup and no one can ever take that from you. And so there's this beautiful freedom that you, that you earn or you, um, you become it. And um, so my go-to is extreme faith. I like it. Um, we're going to open it up to questions. Just one last thing. Uh, tomorrow we're actually launching video courses at mindbodygreen.com slash courses with these people. We've got, if you like what they've heard, check it out. You can learn meditation from Charlie, yoga from Tara and Michael, and how to eat a more plant-based diet with Rich and Julie. And that's going live tomorrow at mindbodygreen.com slash courses. They're video courses. It's incredible. These people, you know, come into your home and literally teach you everything they know. Uh, so please check it out. But uh, we're going to open up the questions now. So this question is for Rich. Hey, Rich, when you changed your lifestyle, did you also have to change your friends? I.e., did you have to cut out? <laughs> did you have to cut uh, out your drinking buddies? And also, second quick question: What's hotter, Badwater or a New York City subway platform? Oh man, that was a great question. Two-parter. Um, did I have to, the question was, did I have to change my friends when I changed my lifestyle? Well, certainly when, when I got sober, I had to, you know, my friends at that time were what we call lower companions. So I did end up changing a lot of those friends. My good friends remained with me. And in terms of changing my diet and my lifestyle, I didn't really find that I needed to change my friends. I, I had a lot more new friends come into my life with the people that were my true good friends prior to that remained my remained my good friends, um, and you know I'm happy to talk with you afterwards a little bit more about that because it's it's been an interesting you know it's been an interesting road with that. Um, what's hotter, bad water or New York City? I just I was just in Death Valley last week. I was crewing for an ultra marathon runner, a guy some of you might have heard of named Dean Carnazes wrote a book called Ultra Marathon Man. He's a very well-known like distance runner. And there's a race that goes through Death Valley in July called Badwater. It's a 135-mile running race. And I was there crewing for him. I wasn't racing in the race, but I was there to support him. And it was about 120 to 25 degrees through <laughs> most of the day. So I think it was a little bit warmer than a subway platform, but it was a dry heat. So the New York City subway platform is right up there, I'd say, in July and August. Hi, everybody. Um, this question's for uh, Tara. Sorry, haven't spoken in a microphone for a while. Uh, what would, what's your favorite place to do yoga? Uh, favorite place to do yoga? Yes. Uh, anywhere. <laughs> uh, I mean, we have a nice studio here in New York, which is 
great because it's just really convenient for me and we live literally across the street from here. So um, I like doing yoga pretty much anywhere I am. I travel a lot, so in hotel rooms is kind of nice and outside and um, we did this little video series called Yoga Anywhere. We just kind of went around and did yoga in unexpected places, <laughs> which is fun. Um, on the boats in Central Park was kind of fun and challenging and you also make a lot of friends when you do yoga in unexpected places. Um, I started doing yoga in the airports just for fun and uh, and people come up to you and they say, oh, you know, can I join? And it's fun, you know. <laughs> so anywhere. But yeah, maybe airports. airports. Yeah. <laughs> I'll go with airports. Hi. This question's for all of you. Do you all eat a strictly plant-based diet or do some of you eat other things in your, in your diet? Sure. I'll, I'll start. So I, I used to be about 90% meat 10 years ago. I ate so much steak, my face is at the Palm Steakhouse in Midtown. Literally, that's how much steak I ate. Um, so I was eating about 90% animal products back then. Now I'm probably closer to 85 to 90% plant-based. Um, so I, I've reversed those numbers for me, which has been hugely beneficial. Uh, I was uh, raised a strict vegetarian by my hippie parents. Um, so I was, uh, from the age of zero to 32-ish or so, I had never eaten anything that had previously had a face. Um, and uh, then this weird thing happened. I suddenly, like, I'd been grossed out by meat because I'd been raised very strict like that. Um, this weird thing happened one day where I just walked past a, past a meat section, in, I think at Whole Foods or something, and I just went, that, that looks delicious. And something just snapped for me. And for about a year, I was just obsessed with eating meat. I couldn't get enough of it. I was just like, I, there was something that my body was craving. And it was against all of my ethics and principles, but I still kind of went with it because I believe in following your body, whatever it tells you to do. Um, and then that just kind of, like a year or year and a half and that just leveled off and disappeared and now I'm back to being a vego again so that was weird come full circle um, but uh, but yeah I think it's you know I, I, I'm a really I think I'm a big believer in not being dogmatic I think that your, your body sort of knows best and uh, and there's lots you know where where we there may be some differing opinions uh, right over here but um, you know I think we um, we are we are we're omnivores and we and we can eat a very wide range of foods and still remain healthy um, and we just, you just kind of need to follow your intuition and know what's best. But I, I really think that uh, a plant-based diet is, is fantastic and certainly the best for meditation, I've found. The meditation experiences that I had, for example, were negatively affected by the period of my life where I was eating lots of meat. Uh, so I can confirm that experimentally. <laughs> I do eat a 100% plant-based diet, but I would also say that I do think it's also important to not be dogmatic about it. Uh, I'm coming up on seven years of, of eating this way, and it continues to agree with me, um, but I do think it's important to listen to your body and, and to do what's right for you. I happen to think that, that this is a great way of eating, and it's certainly changed everything in my life, and for people that are curious about it, I'd encourage all of you to you know, take a look at it um, and sort of set aside whatever kind of preconceived ideas you may or may not have about what it's like to do that. And uh, I would also I would I would add the caveat that although my my uh, caricature of my face is not on the wall at the Palm, it probably should be at McDonald's because that's the way I was eating before. But um, but now, yeah, I'm all about the plants now. I'm 100% plant-based now. Um, I was inspired by Rich Roll to go vegan. Um, but I've been vegetarian for years. I don't know how many years. I don't know, 15 years or something like that. And, uh, but I was raised in Alaska on hunted meat. So I grew up on moose tacos and caribou stew and more salmon than anyone should eat in their entire life. But I really feel for myself, um, I don't like to give myself any rules. I live in a very fluid experience. So I always say that if I woke up tomorrow and I craved meat, I would go find a really pure piece and eat it with no judgment. Um, and I think it's important in all of your eating that um, you do practice non-judgment for yourself and also for others because everybody is on their own journey. I like that. Amen. <laughs> Ditto. <laughs> Pretty much ditto. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I grew up uh, on a farm, so we ate 
the cows and the pigs. And I never really liked uh, eating that, but I wanted to just play outside. But one day my dad ran over a deer and brought it home and he ate that. And I was just, just not happy about that either. <laughs> so I, I, you know, I grew up having mixed uh, feelings, a lot of mixed feelings. <laughs> Um, you know, and then moving to New York uh, from nothing, you know, I didn't have very much money at all in my pocket, probably a dollar or so, but, you know, I switched to gummy bears and Mountain Dew and did that for a while. And, um, you know, when I was able to afford the Vitamix, got the Vitamix and pretty much never looked back. So mostly plants, although Mike eats cookies every once in a while that aren't from the vegan store. <laughs> and pizza sometimes. So I've pretty much been through all the diets, whether it's just cookies or just vegetables or vegan or raw or macrobiotic. And, uh, you know, I have to say probably the most important thing that everyone's saying here uh, for me is just listening to your body, really getting to the point where you can tune in that your body is sending you signals, you hear the signals and you believe what you're hearing. Um, because it's so valuable when you just go along with what you feel. That's such a valuable thing to practice and so good for health overall. Um, and choosing what you eat, uh, there was a really good set of articles that came out a couple years ago. I think it went through Time Magazine and US News. and They all said, hey, look, we have a big obesity problem uh, around the world. Exercise is not going to help people lose weight. That the most important thing, way more than exercise, is choosing what you eat uh, and getting really sensitive to that. And treating yourself as your own best laboratory. So you're all the number one experts on you. Nobody will ever know how you feel better than you do. And if you can bring that approach into your food, you're gonna know exactly what you ought to eat, what works best for you all the time. Will you stick with that every day? Mm, you probably have some cookies sometimes if you're like me, but, but you'll know. And then from knowing, from that kind of self-sensitivity, then you'll be able to always make a choice. Hey everybody, I have a quick question for any of the panelists. I do yoga meditation in the morning and at the time I feel incredible. Uh, 30 minutes afterward I feel great, but then I end up getting into my day to day and I find myself slipping out of that state, losing some of that that I just worked on in the morning. Do you have any tips, tricks, piece of advice of how to keep that state, how to keep that, that mindset throughout the day when things do come up, when emergencies do happen? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, uh, everyone's looking at me. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I've got, I've got quite a lot to say about that, actually. Um, the, uh, yeah, so first of all, one thing just philosophically to understand is that um, that, that is going to happen uh, until, uh, until you've uh, been practicing for quite a long time. You know, that, that sort of euphoric, blissful feeling does tend to last for longer and longer the more you do it. Um, but I, I really strongly believe, and I've seen this with people, that um, if... There are the people I know, you know, I live in California, I live near, near Santa Monica, there's a lot of people who kind of do, just do yoga all the time and just do meditation all the time. I don't believe you. No, they, they trust me, they exist. Um, I should say trust fund, they exist. Um, but they, um, and uh, they, um, and uh, they seem like really chilled out, peaceful, calm people until, you know, they get they accidentally eat the non-organic kale salad and then they flip right out. Um, and there, there's like that stability and calmness has never been sort of solidified into action. And I think actually the act of like bringing that peaceful calm into your life and seeing how long it can last for is actually part of the challenge of, 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 uh, of actually making it useful and real and setting it in. And that, 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 it, that fading away process, you're going to like, oh, it, it, you know, it faded away after like 30 minutes this time. And faded away after 40 minutes this time, maybe two hours the next time. And it just begins to last a little bit longer. So you don't, it's not that you want to sort of go and live in a cave somewhere. I don't think that's what you're suggesting anyway. But, you know, you can do little check-ins. You can recall what that feeling was. Take a moment, like before, before when you have a second to sit down, and remember the feeling that you had when you had that really sort of unbounded, blissful feeling during your meditation session or during your yoga session. And just feel it in your heart. See how far away that is from the surface level of your consciousness. As soon as you start to do that, you'll notice it's actually not that far. And the more it becomes established in you, the, it's, it, it becomes easier and easier. When I talk to long-term meditators, like they've been med meditating for a year or more, 
um, I'll say, you know, how, how long would it take you to feel that, to just be aware of that inner sort of ticklish feeling that you get from, you know, a really juicy meditation? And they kind of go, mm-hmm, yeah, there it is. You know, and it's, it's really quite close. But it, it's not that it's, it's, but you still have to put that little bit of a moment into just go, oh, yeah, no, I actually do feel good inside. You know, one of the, one of the real advantages of these things is you find that the locus of happiness, the location of happiness is within you, not out here. You know, it's not a matter of getting more things, but you actually have happiness, a source of happiness that is um, unlimited within you, and you can find it. And so, uh, the, you know, you already have these tools. You just have to remember that the part of the process is this undulation, and it, and it will just last for longer. Yeah. Welcome. Hi, this is a question for Michael um, and for the whole panel. I uh, work for an organization that's trying to bring all these wellness uh, practices to very low-income immigrant Latina women. And um, uh, this is a population that has a lot of diabetes, a lot of obesity, and uh, um, I'm wondering if you guys ever think about what it would be like to make this kind of work more accessible. Um, and any, you know, you don't have to have thought about that, but um, uh, any um, tips or thoughts about how to get people uh, such as yourselves to expand their audience to people, you know, beyond who's sitting here in the Apple store in Soho? Thanks, that's a great question. Uh, Tara, in her own quiet way, um, in developing Strala, uh, Strala became in the last year the most widely practiced style of yoga amongst kids worldwide. So Estrella is in 18,000 schools through the Alliance for a Healthier Generation um, along with the Clinton Foundation. And uh, it's doing exactly what you're talking about. And exactly what you're talking about is so critical. And I think there are uh, a number of great organizations that can do exactly that kind of outreach. Uh, I think one of the tough things about the population you're talking about is after a while, if you, what you're used to is just practicing uh, not feeling good, essentially. Foods that don't make me feel good. You do it enough times, your body is a great communicator to you. So it, it's telling you, eh, I don't really like that. But if you do that for years, for decades, you don't feel anymore because your body starts to decide, hey, look, um, you're not listening to me, so I, I'm going to stop speaking so loudly to you until maybe you get sick. Uh, and then the speaking is really loud. So I think uh, the thing that uh, Tara's work with the Alliance is doing is just trying to get people to the point where they're feeling again, or maybe feeling for the first time. And then from feeling, you start to feel, okay, uh, like, like Charlie was saying, it seems like maybe our natural state is actually feeling good. And we obliterate that sometimes, and then our body shuts down. But um, there are all kinds of ways online through uh, organizations like the Alliance for a Healthier Generation that can reach people in a way that doesn't have to uh, cost a lot of money or bring them to the Soho Apple Store. And all the resources for, it's the Alliance for a Healthier Generation, they're free, they'll send. We did videos for uh, ages K through 12, and it's myself for yoga, and Billy Blanks uh, does his Taibo boxing, and um, Bob Harper did some more training things. There's a Zumba element too, so they have dance, and they have tons of resources for food as well. A lot of these um, schools, they're finding out they feed the kids while at school, then they go home, and then they eat McDonald's for dinner, <laughs> and McDonald's for breakfast, and they come back, so they're uh, teaching the families have how to cook, they're having cooking classes and uh, having um, turned in their front lawn into organic farms for the family. So it's really kind of using all the resources and any schools can sign up for this. And, and I've asked them too, because you know, it's, it's great information. So they're just, they're sharing it and they're giving out the videos to whoever wants them. And we have after school programs as well. So, so yeah, I think it is important to reach everybody. Maybe, I was just gonna say people can start maybe with Apple's free podcast. Yes, and, and I'll add the common theme with everyone here is our mission is to make wellness accessible. You know, Charlie talks about, you know, meditation's not a religion, and Tara and Michael will talk about how you don't have to be flexible and do yoga, to do yoga, and Rich and Julie, you know, will say you don't have to be an animal rights activist to eat more plants. We're all here, I, I think there, there are a lot of misconceptions about all these things, and I think the common theme between all of us is to make these practices accessible. We're here to, you know, not preach the choir of people in New York or Santa Monica or Boulder. This lifestyle is for the masses. This, there's a massive healthcare problem. 
this lifestyle, if, if you're practicing yoga, meditating, or eating more plants, you're doing any one of those things, you're gonna get healthier. The current system's broken, everyone knows it. All these things are, are cheap, we just need to break them down and demystify them and make them available. And Jason's also not uh, being humble and not mentioning the fact that the website he has, Mind Body Green, is a fantastic resource uh, for all these wellness topics. For anyone, it's free. There's tons of free information on there. Um, these courses that we're about to launch, they're, you know, they're not free, but they're quite inexpensive, you know, and, the, and they're going to be, we've deliberately tried to make them as accessible as we could and make it, make it something that could reach out, you know, to people who live in, in states other than California and New York, which is, you know, is quite frankly so far the kinds of places that can, can support lots of yoga students. We're spoiled for choice here in New York or in L.A., uh, there's, you know, if you didn't come to see me or any of these folks for all their, our various skills, there's plenty of people who do the same thing brilliantly that I respect so much. Um, it's not the case if you're living in some small town somewhere. And we, that one, of, one of the things we've talked about at great length is that this project that we're working on is the thing that we want to be able to bring that through the internet, uh, to bring that to the masses, to bring it to everyone in the world. We, we'd, we'd love it if people were, were to take up these courses, you know, all over the world. I think that's great. Hi, uh, Jason, my question's for you. What led you to start Mind Body Green? Were you working in an associated field before or did you have a personal experience that made you do it? Sure, I had a number of experiences. So I, uh, I was a college basketball player. I worked as a trader for five years. Uh, once I paid off my college debt, I got out of that and got into startups. And the last startup I ran was an organic cookie company. So it was through that company, I really started to pay attention to ingredients and, and eating closer to nature and what we were putting into our body. I flew incredible mileage that year and I had really bad back problems. I had two extruded discs in my lower back. I was in excruciating pain, told I needed back surgery, did not want to get surgery, started practicing yoga. Yoga completely healed my back. Uh, so I was like, wow, like this, this practice, this, this works. Also met my wife that year, started to revisit spirituality. So all these things were happening and I said, wow, this, you know, having a spiritual practice, incorporating more mindful movement, you know, eating organic, closer to nature, removing toxins from our body environment, like this is health, everyone has it wrong, it's not about weight loss, it's, it's not about, you know, disease management, it's, it's about this lifestyle. And that was how Mind Body Green came about and then was lucky to found two incredible co-founders and just kind of run with it. And we launched in 2009 and didn't know what the hell we were doing. And, you know, now we've, it took us, you know, two and a half years to get 100,000 people to come to the site in the last year, and now we're over 4 million. So it's been an incredible journey. Okay, well, that's going to do it. Ladies and gentlemen, join me in thanking our panel one more time for coming out tonight.